chapter number one today is simply an introduction to the book. And so it's going to take a little bit of time as we go through here. The book of Hebrews is an interesting book. And there's a lot that I'll say over the next long time. Say, so how long are we going to be here? No clue. I do know that First and Second Peter, when you look at it, that was eight chapters. That took us eight months. Say almost a chapter a month. Almost something like that. And you'll see as we go through some of this, like I'm already next week's sermon I'm working on, it's only going to be verse 1 through 3 next week. The following week, we'll see. I think it's going to be 4 through 7, but it might be 4 through the end of the chapter. And so some chapters might go fast. Some might take a little bit longer. But it's okay. We, we're in church to learn the Bible anyways, right? And so that's what we're here for. And so we're going to start the book of Hebrews today. And it's an awesome book. And in just a moment, we're going to actually turn to chapter number 6 is where I'm going to have you turn today because we're doing an introduction today. Hebrews chapter 6. And so as I mentioned, as we get into this today, just bear with things today. There's going to be a lot of information today getting us going, where next week and forward we're just going to go verse by verse like we normally do through these passages. And so as we look at this, you don't see often sermon series through the book of Hebrews. In fact, I have never heard someone preach straight through. Now, I know that there are people that have. So don't be like, oh, pastor's doing... No, I know people have, but I've never heard anyone do it. Now, I hear people take passages out of here, and it's a great book, but you don't hear often where we take it, because it's kind of interesting. The book does not open up like a letter. Like, you'll look at the other ones, you'll see Paul, an apostle, and greetings to so-and-so, or Peter, greetings to so-and-so. Literally, Hebrews does not open up like a letter. It begins, right, look at verse, one, well, you're on chapter 6 now, but in chapter 1, it starts out, God, who in sundry times and diverse manners spake, it's like a sermon getting going. It's not a letter to begin with. But then if you were to look at the very last chapter of the book of Hebrews, and I'm going to go there, you don't have to, but Hebrews 13 at the very end, verse 22, it says, And I beseech you, brother, and suffer the word of exhortation, for I have written a letter unto you in few words. And then it says, Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty. Salute them. Grace be unto you all. Amen. It begins like a sermon and ends like a letter. So... It's interesting when you look at it this way. And so there are, the other problem is, there have been certain passages in the book of Hebrews that people have used to teach wrong doctrine. And there's quite a few. The other thing is, when the canon of Scripture is being put together, and this is the thing I want you to remember, sometimes we get so caught up on men and what they do, we lose sight of what God does. I don't care that men put, decided what the canon was because God had his word settled in heaven before any men decided to do anything. Before any men pinned the words that the Lord gave them, God's word was already settled. The book of Hebrews was already going to be in there. There are those that, don't, that didn't want to include the book of Hebrews, and there are several reasons for that. Because in all reality, it puts down every other religion out there except for Jesus Christ. And you know that today that in our world, no one likes that, right? Everyone wants everything to be all-inclusive and doesn't want it to be narrow-minded. Sometimes they say we as Christians, we're narrow-minded. We are. Because Jesus is the only way. He is the only truth. And he's the only life. 
I had someone a couple weeks ago, we were talking, they're like, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that your way is the right way? I said, no, no, no. See, that's where you go wrong. It's not my way. It is his way. And yes, if you don't go his way, you're not getting there. It's not mine. It's not our way. It's his way. If you notice in the book of Acts, when it talked about God's people, they were children or they were of the way. That way is God. It's God's way. And so people didn't like the book of Hebrews just for things like that. So as we dive in this morning and we look at several things, I want you to know this is the biggest thing I want you to get this morning. As we study the book of Hebrews, you must take the book of Hebrews and compare Scripture with Scripture. Hebrews is not an isolated book where one passage changes what the rest of the Bible says. There are 65 other books in the Bible, and God's Word agrees everywhere from the beginning to the end. And so where people go wrong with the book of Hebrews is when they make doctrines out of a couple of verses through there. So as we get into the message today and as we dive in, and we're just going to look at a few things and look at an overview this morning and what the book's all about. Number one, we look at the message. Number one, the message. What is the message of the book? What is the meaning? What's the main message of this book? I believe you can go right to where you are in Hebrews chapter number 6. And I think we can see here, it says, there, verse number 1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. And so it says right there, let us go on to maturity. What is what I believe? I believe the theme of the book is that Christ is better, and we'll talk about this. But I believe the theme or the main message of the book is, hey, you need to get these things settled about Christ, and you need to move forward in your Christian life. Because this is the problem. The problem we have in Christianity today is we have a lot of Christians that are not growing in the Lord. We literally have a bunch of children in the Lord that never grow. And I want you to know this has been a problem ever since Christianity began. This is not a new problem today. But just as you would look at a child, you see this last week, I got to go and hold Mila, Matthew and Maria's baby, and got to hold, got to hold her this last week. And you forget how tiny babies are, right? And, you know, I've, we've had four and I'm holding her, and those thoughts go back, oh, they're so fragile, and literally, you know, barely takes up half my, and I'm like, and then I look at William yesterday as I take him to a youth rally, and he's like two inches shorter than I am, and he's 12 years old. His feet are the same size as mine, and he was that small a long time ago. It would be a weird thing, and not right, and you'd go to the doctor and get it figured out if William still looked like a newborn at 12 years old right? You'd be like, something is seriously wrong. So why is it okay to be a Christian and to stay a baby Christian and never grow in the Lord? It's not okay. But that's where most Christians run into the most trouble. Because what happens is, and we hear, I hear it often, someone will mess up in their Christian life. And they'll come, pastor, I don't even know if I was saved. That question always alarms me. 
you do need to make sure you're saved. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in him and nothing else, you're saved, okay? That settles it. The Spirit of God convicted you and salvation is there. That's what you got to realize. But this is the problem. When you aren't growing and you're not becoming what God wants you to be, you'll look and you'll wonder, well, why not? If we could take these steps and grow, the Bible talks about when we were in Peter, right? As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You know why you don't grow as a Christian? Because you're not feeding on the word. Mila, very quickly when I was there, she started crying and she wanted food. In a few hours, or some of you right now, your stomach's growling. Or maybe your stomach's not growling because you stopped at a donut shop on your way here this morning. And uh, how many of you stopped at a donut shop this morning? How many of you got some donuts? Oh, just the, I love it. Robert, I love that your mom tracks, what, uh, tracks you wherever you go. He's a 60-something-year-old guy and his mom still tracks him. And he taught her how to do it. The key is, though, Margie, he didn't teach you how to do it when he was a teenager. He waited till now when he's a good boy, and it's okay for you to track him now. And so just going to donut shops and things like that. And, uh, but we'll all get hungry in a little bit, and we'll eat. We need to go on to spiritual maturity. You know what one of the biggest problems we have in our church today is the lack of spiritual maturity. We have, we have some mature Christians, but for the most part, we have more immature than mature. And there's nothing wrong with that at a moment in time. How many of you, let's be honest in the room, how many of you have been saved less than five years? Would you raise your hand? Got some hands up in the room. How many of you have been saved less than 10 years? Okay, and that's about half of our room. So, you know, you, how many of you have been saved 30 years? I can raise my hand, 30 years. Those that have been saved 30 years should be further along than the 10-year ones, right? Should be. Should be. You look at a 30-year-old compared to a 10-year-old. A 30-year-old should be more mature than a 10-year-old. But you look in our world today, are there some 30-year-olds that are not as mature as some 10-year-olds? Yes. And you're like, there's something not quite right there. That's how it is in the Christian life. God wants us to go on to maturity. Not going backwards, but going forward for the Lord. So as we look here, the message, and as we look at these things, we need to move forward. And what happens is here in the book of Hebrews, there were Jews that were basically in a second childhood all over again. God spoke in his word, and we just need to follow God's word and do what it says. When we neglect God's word and the instruction of God's word, we go backwards. We can look at chapter 5. Look right there at verse number 11. It says, Of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as need of milk, and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. 
But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Even those who are of reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And you know, when I was holding Mila the other day, I'm not going to bring her a steak to eat. She's not going to be able to do anything with that steak. She needs milk. But as you get older, you don't need all that milk, and you need the protein, and you need other things. In the Christian life, you're not supposed to stay a baby. Just here's your milk, here's your milk, here's your milk. The pastor's messages all the time should not be milk for you. Here, let me pat you on the back. Here, baby, take your milk, take your milk. We need meat. You need to grow. We need to mature in the Christian life. Ask yourself and think about this, where you were a year ago in your Christian walk and where you are today. Are you growing? Are you stagnant? Are you dull of hearing? Did you see what that says there about being dull of hearing? I think that could be a hard issue, and we'll talk more about that when we get to chapter number five. But I believe the main message here is the fact that we need to go on to spiritual maturity. You see, And the Bible tells us that Jesus is, in chapter 12, verse number 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He begins it, and he's going to complete it, right? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. And as we look at this, and as we're going to look at the book of Hebrews, I want you to realize the fact that Hebrews presents the Christian life and faith. We'll look at faith. Chapter 12 is all about faith. That the Christian life and faith is superior to Judaism. It's superior to any other religion out there. You see, chapters 1 through 6 are going to teach us that Christ is the superior person. There is no one that is like Christ. The angels don't compare to Christ. Moses doesn't compare to Christ. And for the Jews, they held Moses in high regard. Moses is nothing compared to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the superior person. Jesus Christ not only is that, but in chapter 7 through 10, we see that Christ's priesthood is superior to that of Aaron's. And we know that Aaron's line, that's where the priest began, right? And we go back to the Old Testament and see that. And the priests that were there, and we see that Christ as our high priest is superior to anything that they got. I was just reading the other day, Yesterday, we went to a youth rally. There was a passage used in Exodus chapter 33. In, that, in, cha- in the chapter previous to that, when Aaron made the golden calf for them. He made it. Aaron was a sinner. Aaron had issues in his life. But Christ, his priesthood, it is better than that of Aaron's. And then we also see thirdly about the book from chapter 11 to 13, that faith is superior to the law. You've got to understand the Jews look at all the old covenant. Was the old covenant a good thing? God's covenant with yes it was. It was a blessing for them and that God would do what he said he would do, but there were conditions with that covenant. And that covenant if they broke their covenant God would punish them. 
And they had to follow the law. So yes, the old covenant, it was good. The law was good to teach us things. But it was not superior to Christ. And that's what we're going to see over the next several months and time that we're here. We see number one, we see the message. And I believe it's to move on in our spiritual maturity. Number two, we th- we're going to talk about the writer for a minute. Now, I told you as the book began, there is no, it does not say Paul or John or Mark or whatever the case may be. It starts out like a sermon here. You know, people for years have struggled and still struggle. Who wrote the book? One of the reasons they didn't want to include it in the canon of Scripture is because they weren't sure who pinned these words. And tradition points to Paul. Others have suggested Apollos, Luke, Philip, Mark, or even Aquila and Priscilla. Now the question is, who? Are you ready for the who? You ready? The Holy Spirit. He is the who. You're like, Pastor, I know that. Okay, as long as you get that, first of all, okay? This book, the Bible that we hold in our hand, is unlike any other book that's ever been written. And yes, there are human authors. They're not really authors. Human note takers, maybe a good way of wording it there. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So as we look at this and we think about the Holy Ghost, these are, he gave these words. So well, if the Holy Ghost gives the words, but each book is written in a different style, how does all that work out? Isn't it amazing to know how God works? That God can work in the midst of man in their own way of writing things and still get his word out. That's where you will never fully understand God. And some of you need to quit trying to fully understand God and just trust him in what he says. Now as we look at this, I mentioned this last week, and I'm going to talk a little bit for a minute. I sincerely believe that Paul is the writer of Hebrews. You might totally disagree with me, and that's fine. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm going to tell you why I believe it's Paul, and then we're going to move on from here. Who was the book written to? The Hebrews, to Jews. That's who the book was written to. Now, you'll notice that the writer here, you could look at chapter number 1 in verse number 2. He's spoken unto us. So the author compares himself with the Jews, There's something there. Chapter 2, verse 1, therefore we ought. So he's referring to himself and the audience again. And you can see that in in verse 3, chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. We see that the author of the book identifies himself as a Jew, right? Am I, I think you agree with me there. The second thing that we see is the fact that, um, He also identifies himself with Timothy. And when you look at it, who identifies himself with Timothy in the scriptures? Paul does, right? So chapter 13, we were there a few minutes ago. It says, Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom if he comes shortly, I will see you. And so we see he refers to Timothy, as Paul would do. The closing benediction of the book is very similar to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. The, and look at what it said, the salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is a token of, in every epistle. So I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. 
Do you see he writes it in every one of his letters? That's what it says right there. The Bible also tells us that um, if you go to chapter number 10, and like I said, you're getting a lot of information today. Chapter 10, whoever penned these words, look at chapter 10, in verse number 34, for ye have come past me in my bonds. Whoever penned these words had been in prison. You see that there in verse 34? And then chapter 13, in verse number 19, we see the fact, um, but I beseech, and as we look at these things, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Whoever penned these words did it from prison. For me, I believe it's Paul. If you don't want to believe it's Paul, that's totally fine. But what really solidifies it for me would be where we've been studying in 2 Peter. Go with me to 2 Peter for a minute. And look at chapter 3 of 2 Peter. This is, we were just here last week. And look at what it says in verse 15. Now, who did Peter write to? Who did Peter write to? Does anybody know? We've talked about this before. We talked about it. You guys don't remember anything I said about Peter. Why am I going on if you don't remember anything I said about Peter? He wrote to the strangers that were scattered abroad. He wrote to the Jews that were scattered. So Peter's books, the two of them, the two letters were written to Jews. So look at what it says in 2 Peter 3, verse 15. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. And also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in the which are some things hard to understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. We see in that verse it says that there are those that twist what, Peter, what Paul says. Now if you notice, it says that he wrote to them, right? Paul's writings. Where does he write? to Jews. He writes to churches, but this wasn't, Peter wasn't writing to churches, he was writing to Jews. So unless the Lord forgot to put a book in the Bible that Paul wrote to the Jews, it has to be Hebrews. That's my take. Now if you want to say differently, that's totally fine. If you want to come sit down and we can talk about it, that's totally fine. And when we get to heaven, neither one of us are going to be concerned because we'll see Jesus and it'll all be okay. At the end of the day, if we disagree, I had someone the other day talk about how they sent me a text and said, Pastor, I can't correspond with you, can't go to your church anymore because we don't see eye to eye on a lot of things. Okay. I guess they need, to go find, they need to go find a Bible that agrees with what they think. But anyways, us not agreeing about who wrote the book is not going to end the world. If we don't agree about salvation, we've got problems. But there have been many that have taken the book of Hebrews and have taken things that Paul has written and things that are hard to be understood. You know why a lot of people don't preach through the book of Hebrews? It's not an easy book. That's why. It's not easy. And so, and what happens is when you don't know God's word, and that's why, that's why it's so important. If you are going to teach the word of God, I don't care who you are. 
you better study it and get to know it. Because a lot of times you can take, not meaning to, you can take scripture and twist it. Like what's happened in the book of Hebrews over and over again. And sometimes it's people who purposely twist it. But then there's other times where people just don't know. And you need to be very careful to study, to show yourself to be approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. As we look here this morning, we see the message. We see who I believe to be the writer. And then, thirdly, I want to give you a warning. The warnings. What warning would I give you? My warning for you for the book of Hebrews comes from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, twist, as they do also other scriptures unto their own destruction. Hey, we don't, I don't want you to fall prey to that. And as we study this book out, I want you to understand as we look at this, we need to look at the scriptures and take it for what it says and compare Hebrews with the rest of the Bible because it's there. When we take one book and set a doctrine by one book, we run into a lot of trouble. People do that with the book of Acts. You realize that? Pentecostals, that's where they get their doctrine, the book of Acts. But the problem is, most of what's said in the book of Acts about certain things that happen, Paul's epistles totally disagree with that. When it comes to baptism, when it comes to speaking in tongues, when it comes to key doctrines that they would follow. You say, well, why? Why then does Acts say what it says? It's the first time it happens. There were, and as we've studied on Sunday nights, there were times God used, God had to, the Jews were there and they had to see what was taking place to authenticate it. Things are different the first time. We get our church doctrine from Paul's epistles. So as we study this out and as we go further, we need to realize something. That as we go through the book of Hebrews together, it's written to believers, Right? The book's written to believers because the writer compares himself with the audience. We. Even where it says, let us go on to perfection. There in chapter 6, verse number 1. People would say, well, there are people, this is talking about people that aren't saved. Almost saved. No, it's talking about saved people that don't grow and don't think they're saved. Because did you realize you might think you're not saved because you're not growing, but that doesn't mean you're not saved? Because if you know Christ and if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you are kept by the power of God unto salvation. Not kept by what you do or how you feel. You ever feel a certain way and your feelings are wrong? All the time. That's how it is for us. We feel a certain way and our feelings don't, aren't always right. And that's why as a Christian, you cannot let your feelings run your life. One of the passages I always think of was there as Isaac couldn't see anymore. And he called his son in. And remember, um, Jacob put on some, some, some put on hair of, a, of an animal. That's how hairy Esau was. That's pretty crazy. 
But this is what the Bible says. It says that Isaac heard the voice of Jacob, but he felt Esau. He let his feelings run his decision. You cannot let your feelings run your decision. It's where a lot of Christians get in trouble when it comes, I don't feel saved. You're not always going to feel saved. There's days you're not going to feel like singing in church. There's going to be days you don't feel like praying. There's going to be days you don't feel like reading your Bible. Say, I'm just a No, you're a sinner. We're all sinners. You're not perfect. We see some warnings. And then lastly today, I want to talk about the key words for the book. The key words. And as we look at the key words, number four, and lastly today, what I want you to realize this morning is the fact that the author of the book of Hebrews wants the Jews to realize that there's a better way. You know, what God did with them in the Old Testament, it was an awesome thing. To think that God would choose a people and they would be his people and he would be their God and he led them into a new land and he dwelt in the temple with them. But what I want you to see is the first key word is the word better. It is mentioned over and over throughout the book. Let's look at a few of the verses. It says in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 4, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. It's talking about Jesus being better than the angels. Chapter 6, verse number 9, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. Chapter 7, verse 7, and without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. Chapter 7, verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh to God. Chapter 7, verse 22, by so much was Christ made a surety of a better covenant. Chapter 8, verse 6, but now we have obtained a, uh, or obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator, Jesus is, of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. And yes, that old covenant, it was a good covenant. But this new covenant, it is a better covenant than the old covenant. And the promises in the new covenant are a lot better than those promises in the old covenant. Chapter 9, verse 23, It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in this heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Chapter 10, 34, For you have had compassion on me in my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Think about those in the book of the Hall of Faith, chapter 11, that they desired a better country. That is a heavenly, where God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he hath prepared for them a city. Hey, we're looking forward to that better country, aren't we? Are we looking forward to heaven? Heaven's going to be better than what we have here on earth today. The same chapter, verse number 35 says, Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. 
Verse 40, God hath provided some better thing for us than they without us should not be made perfect. Chapter 12, verse 24, and to Christ, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Hey, church, this morning, may I just remind you that Jesus and his way, it's better. Hey, you can look at our world today. Turn on the news. You could look at Hollywood. You could look at our world system today. And this world looks like everything is so great and wonderful. And they're going to take care of you. And it's going to be a wonderful road. May I just remind you today that the way of Jesus Christ is better than anything this world has to offer. And though Satan might throw and try to allure you, I'd rather be a Christian today than anything else because his ways are better. Don't ever lose sight of that. This world wants you to think it's the better way. No, hey, this morning, Jesus is still the better way. Hey, I don't care how American you are, and I'm grateful for my country. Jesus is better than America. Jesus is better than anything. Jesus is better than your old religion. Hey, Jesus is better than being a Baptist this morning. Whoo, that might get some old Baptist feathers ruffled right there. I do believe we got some Baptists that if Jesus were to walk into a Baptist church, they wouldn't even recognize who Jesus is because they're so stuck in their traditions. When we get stuck in our traditions, traditions are not better than Jesus. Are some traditions good? Yes, they are. Do we need to keep some traditions? Yes, we do. But when your tradition trumps Jesus, throw out the tradition and go with Jesus because he's much better. Hey, this morning your head might be down. You might be, I don't know what you're going through this morning. Hey, being a Christian's better. Imagine if you didn't have Christ. How would going through what you're going through right now be? It's better to go through it with Jesus than alone. Hey, if you've lost someone recently in your life, it's better to have Jesus at your side than to go through it alone. If you lost your job, it's better to lose it with Jesus than to go through it by yourself. Hey, if you're having financial trouble today, it is better to have Jesus go right beside you than to walk alone. We need to change our perspective. And I love the book of Hebrews because it points out the fact Jesus is better and greater than anything. And the second key word would be the word perfect. The word perfect, there are three or four different tenses that are used throughout the book of Hebrews for the word perfect. The word perfect means complete. It means mature. And it's used in different spots like that. We could look and we see in chapter 2, verse number 10, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Chapter 5, verse 9, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. Now you'll see, look at chapter 5, verse 14. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of a full age. That word perfect is the same word that's used there for full age. Mature. It's for them that are mature. Chapter number 6, verse number 1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Now, when you look at that, is that talking about us being perfect, like it mentioned Christ being perfect and being our... No. This is about spiritual maturity. And that's where it takes a little spiritual maturity 
to be able to study that out and figure that out. We can look at their support verses, and on the back there, it says, verse, chapter 7, 11, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priests, what further need have therefore that any other priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? You see, perfection was not going to be reached through the, Lev- the Levitical priesthood. You needed Christ. 7.19, For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh to God. We could look at verse number nine, chapter 9, verse 11, But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Chapter 10, verse 14, look at this verse. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. You want to talk about a verse that casts down what people say about chapter 5 and 6? By one offering, Christ perfected how long? Till you sin next? Till you mess up? No, he hath perfected forever. Do you see that? Is there a limit on that? His one sacrifice. That's why there are churches that keep offering Christ and say Christ is still up on that cross and still, he no, he's not. He died once for all. He is no longer on that cross. And praise God, he's not. He died once for all. And by that one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. What a great verse. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, too, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, the word finisher, perfecter, completer of our faith. So as we look at the book of Hebrews, the key words, better and perfect. And this is what I want you to realize today. If your two words are better and perfect, perfect's quite a strong word. The whole book is about Jesus. And he's the only one who's better. And he's the only one who's perfect. And he's the only one that can perfect us and help us to become more like him. So we're going to look through this book. We're going to have a great time as we do it. But we need to make sure we compare Scripture with Scripture. We keep an eye on what the rest of the Bible says. And we realize the fact that Jesus is greater than anything else. And Christian, it would do you good in your life today to remember who Jesus is. There's a song in our songbook, I believe it's just a chorus, it says, I'm glad I know who Jesus is. He's more than just a story. He's the King of glory. And that goes, he's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the counselor delivered to me. He's the everlasting Father. He is the King of glory. I am glad I know who Jesus is. Yesterday, as we were at that youth rally, someone brought up a fact, and they mentioned, as they went through that message about God's presence with his people. If God, if God were to leave us today and say, I'm not going to be with you anymore, what would that do to your life? It's a very convicting thought. Would you just would you just keep going because God's not really a major part of your life today? 
or does it make, would it make a difference? Now, you don't have to worry about him leaving you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. We'll look at that in the book of Hebrews as well. But how much is he really a part of your life? You will not know true life without a relationship with Jesus. And more than just being saved, abiding in him. And I hope that as we go through this study over the next several months, that it will help remind you that, yes, this world seems like it has a lot to offer, but it has nothing to offer. Go ahead and take the world, but give me Jesus. That's what I need. Because Jesus is better. And you know this world hates Jesus. Do you realize that? And they're only going to hate him more. You know why they hate him? Because they don't like who he is. Thank God for who he is. I hope that as we go through this study, he'll move up even higher in your minds and in your heart than where he is. We'll just realize the fact that he's better, and through him we can be made perfect because he is perfect. Father, thank you for our time today.